What's up, guys? We are back. Another episode of the MLS Aces podcast. This is your host, Tom Sweezy. Sorry again about being a day late this week. Some interviews canceled. Some things got shifted around. I had to cancel some interviews on my end. So this week, I am very stoked, though, to get the interview in with Devin Kerr. If you guys don't know who Devin Kerr is, first of all, you should if you pay attention to U.S. soccer, like, at all but he's the co-host um for usl all access on sirius xm he's also the usl championship lead analyst for espn um he's an analyst for Concacaf. he does he does soccer analysts for the open cup um i think the acc network a ton of other outlets that uh, our connection with espn Concacaf, ux us soccer just in general so it was a great conversation it's uh, a heavy dive into usl we chat at length about Sacramento Republic's U.S. Open Cup run and the final leading up into Orlando City. We talk about Tab Ramos. He is the brand new manager for Hartford Athletic in the USL Championship. Um, so Houston Dynamo fans, you know Tab. U.S. MNT fans, U.S. Youth National Team fans, you guys know Tab. Um, Devin gives some really good insight into his hire there and what the future could hold for Hartford. We also get some potential news about maybe some people returning to um, the USL Championship championship. Devin gave us a little, maybe a little headline sneak peek there into that. Um, we also kind of dive into the drama surrounding Phoenix Rising, Oakland Roots, um, Juan Guerra, and his hire, uh, his new hire for Phoenix, him departing Oakland. And then lastly, we kind of just talk about the state of USL, all of the exciting young players being developed and leaving the league, and kind of just the state of US soccer in general. It's a very insightful. I love the conversation. And uh, Devin, if you're watching this, listening to this, thank you, because I, I absolutely loved it. Made my absolute day. And if you guys are uh, watching this, make sure you flip your shirts the other way, other way around. Make sure it's on backwards. But before we get to my conversation with Devin Kerr, I just have to kind of go through some small news and notes here around Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer just in general, because obviously, you know, I'm MLS focused. If you guys uh, have not realized that over listening and watching this podcast, but I have to give a major, major shout out to Jesse Marsh, Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, Jack Harrison, all for leading Major Leeds Soccer into being an absolute force and the top teams in the Premier League leads are winning the Prem boys. You know, we're going to see Jesse Marsh Gronk smashing some more water bottles and Brendan Aronson no looking tap in goals for the rest of the season calling it now. But seriously, I love it. I love that <clears throat> Major League Soccer and U.S. soccer talent is getting its run globally and that, you know, people are paying attention to it in the biggest league in the world, which is which is unfortunately the Premier League. It, it'll be Major League Soccer one day. But Let's talk about probably the biggest headline news that dropped so far today. Georgi Mihalovic, he has been sold from CF Montreal to the Eredivisie club AZ Alkmaar. Um, he is going to be going over there for a fee that could potentially rise over $6 million with some add-ons, as uh, I think it was first reported by Tom Bogert. Um, shout out, shout out, friend of the pod, Tom. Um, this is all go. This is also going to have a sell-on clause. So if you know Georgie gets sold elsewhere, Montreal will get some extra money uh, tacked onto that. And um, Mon uh, <clears throat> sorry, not Montreal. Well, Montreal will be giving uh, money to the Chicago Fire. Obviously, um, Georgie came over to Montreal from the Fire, so um, the Fire will be getting ten percent of this deal, whatever that final. Um, fee price gets relegated out to they will get 10% of the deal so shout out to Georgie um, obviously we know he's one of the biggest talents in this league one of the biggest American talents in this league and to be honest I think the European move is probably coming later than it should have I think you know maybe a year or two ago I would have loved to see Georgie um, take a shot over in Europe I'm sure he wanted to I think he's even come out and said he won the European shot so I'm happy for him he's ready to take that next step he's given the opportunity to take the next step that Major League Soccer and, and Montreal are giving that to him as well so I think he's going to flourish there may be a little bit of that you know, you go over to Europe and you have to adjust a little bit slightly, you know, culturally, personally, and then the play on the field. But I think Georgie's going to excel. I, I, I can't wait to see him excel and play over in the Eredivisie. And and maybe, you know, maybe we get to see uh, we get to see more Georgie on the U.S. men's national team as well. I think I think that could that could mean that a little bit. Um, some other major kind of news and notes as far as transfers as we kind of 
Um, round out this transfer window, Matias Pellegrini. He was claimed off waivers by uh, technically claimed off waivers. It's a whole messy ordeal because of Miami's uh, five, six, seven DP rule that they had a few years ago. But um, NYCFC, they claim Matias Pellegrini off waivers from Miami. So um, a young talent going to NYCFC, a young South American talent going to NYCFC, who I think is itching to 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 show major league soccer what he can do i don't know if pellegrini immediately comes in as a starter once he's full on and ready but i think pellegrini can be one of those dudes off the bench for nycfc to potentially save the season i'm not having high hopes for nycfc this year as i chatted about a little bit last week but I think that this could be a solid piece for the future, along with a lot of the other younger talent that we have right now. In, and I will say we, I'm an NYCFC fans, if this is your first time listening, um, that, that, that we have. And I think NYCFC will be fine, um, hopefully fine in 2023 and beyond. I just think kind of 2022 is a little bit of a wash right now. Um, New England, they signed their own winger for their, for their own right. Um, brother of their own MVP, Carlos Hill, Nacho Hill, will be coming off of a free deal from Spain to New England. Obviously, they needed to add some attacking depth. I know they added Ishmael Tajori Shradi um, this past offseason window after the departure of Sebastian Leggett, but I think Nacho Hill comes in also as another awesome depth piece. Obviously, you have the brother connection there. Brothers are always a fun, fun thing to see and watch in Major League Soccer, but excited to see what he can do if, you know, maybe two heels are better than one. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but, um, you know, he, he seems like he could be a nice depth piece for the Revs moving forward into the future. Um, another transfer that I just have to give my love and, and my shout out to this guy because he's been awesome to me on and off this podcast. Evan Loro, um, you guys both know that last know of him from his time spent as the starting goalkeeper, um, USL Championship Goalkeeper of the Year, USL Championship All-Team Goalkeeper. Evan Loro, um, he injured himself going into the USL Championship final that he last played in. Um, I think he was in, I think he, you know, injured himself during a celebration, just one of those unfortunate, unfortunate freak accidents. Um, he's been working his ass off to to get back just into playing soccer shape and also into getting an MLS opportunity. And he has. FC Cincinnati have signed Evan Loro on a free deal. So I'm excited. I think Evan Loro is going to flourish. I think he's going to get a shot one day in this league and he is absolutely going to take it. So I'm pumped for you, man. Um, I think that's pretty much it. We had a wild kind of stretch of games this past weekend. If you guys did not watch or did not pay attention to to the, I think now that we're getting back into the swing of things after MLS All-Star until like solid league play again, playoffs are coming. Like I know we're all, all itching for playoffs. Um, you know, Nashville picking up a much needed win. Philly continuing to smack down DC United all season long. Um, Again, NYCFC splitting games, not great. Seattle, LA Galaxy was, was a wild game Friday night, which was a 3-3 draw, but kind of felt like a loss for both teams at the end of the day. Seattle had it. LA came back late. It was just that that was a wild game. Um, Miami beating Toronto. And I think Pozuelo maybe getting a little bit of uh, a little bit of revenge there. LAFC losing to San Jose Saturday night. That's huge. You know. Obviously, LAFC needs to win and they need to get points if they want to be this record-breaking team. And I think they can be still. Um, I think they kind of just maybe took the, the foot off the gas a little bit with some roster rotation there. And then obviously, you know, we're still seeing what's going to be happening with the Brian Rodriguez outcome. And stay tuned to Michele Giannone's Twitter for all of that news. Obviously, Tom Bogert's Twitter as well. You know, friends of the pod there to, to see what happens with Brian Rodriguez. It's looking like he's gone to Club America on a pretty nice deal with the sell-on fee. And that um, Christian Tello from from La Liga will be coming into LAFC, which is just absolutely ridiculous. I'm sure um, we will be covering that next podcast in more depth. But like I said, stay tuned to Michele Giannone and Tom Bogert's Twitter because um, they, they have all the scoop on, on that. And obviously all the other craziness, wild, up-to-date transfers and storylines and games that are going on around Major League Soccer. But I don't want to drag this on too long because Devin and I had a nice, great conversation again co-host of USL All Access. You've heard his voice on ESPN Plus, on ESPN, um, for the Open Cup, for CONCACAF, for, for USL Championship. Devin Kerr joined me. Great conversation. I'm excited for you guys to listen to this one. 
We are back with another episode of the MLS Aces podcast. This is your host, Tom Sweezy. And this week, I'm joined by a very special guest. We're diving into the lower divisions of American soccer here. He's the co-host of USL All Access on Sirius XM. You've heard him call some of the greatest soccer moments on ESPN for USL and the Open Cup, CONCACAF, NCAA soccer. He's also the co-host of the Three Honest Lads podcast. Devin Kurt. Devin, how are you doing today, man? Man, I gotta, I gotta work on my bio. It's exhausting just hearing it, dude. <laughs> no, it just shows how much you do and, and and how much you know you do for U.S. soccer in general. There you go. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm I'm one of the fortunate ones that uh, look whether whether someone's working in one league or ten, we're we're in a very fun and, and interesting profession. I guess we could call it work of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, doing really really well. Thank you first and foremost for the opportunity to come on and. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's news in the USL has been interesting. The season has been super fun. I'm getting ready to get on a plane in less than 18 hours to to start my college season off again. And um, so yeah, I'm I'm very very excited. It seems like you know the beginning of the year really starts in in like January February for preseason for MLS and USL, and you you get going and it's kind of just like okay. It, you hit yeah. the June and Julys, and it's like, oh my god, can we get to the postseason already? <laughs> can we get something else going on? And then, and then college kicks in, and you're reinvigorated by life. So, no, it's it's you're you're honestly right, right? It's like the preseason, you get so amped up, everyone's making their predictions, what's going to happen, blah blah blah, all that stuff, and then it's like you hit a little bit of a slag in the summer. I think MLS, as far as MLS terms, right, like the all-star break kind of breaks it up a little bit. But then it's like you get a few weeks and you're like, OK, I want the postseason. Like USL with all of the news and the drama coming out this year, I feel like almost has had their MLS all-star break in like, let's just like dive full into USL, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure, dude. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's go. All right, cool. So I want to talk first off. Well, actually, no, you mentioned something before we started recording. What's the good personal news? I, I want to start with that. <laughs> well, well, I do have good personal news, but it, it was just interesting. Like, I I have a lot of banter in my life with friends okay. and family. And, you know, most of my personality, and it depends on the game for sure, but most of my personality is probably quantified by a million in my personal life <laughs> um the wording changes the verbiage has to tone itself down for for broadcasts but uh, i'm definitely a type a personality but as much as i dish it out i can also take it and so long story short i was i was running some errands this morning and specifically for my trip and it was right before i went to get my haircut so i was like got up took care of the kids worked out took the dogs you know excuse me took the dogs for a run okay i gotta go to cvs i'm just kind of standing there cvs didn't have what i wanted so i walked into walgreens and i grabbed my stuff and i walk up to the counter and this girl's just kind of giving me a funny look and i said uh hi i'd like to check out please i'd been standing there for probably like 20 seconds yeah. which is an eternity at like a drugstore <laughs> right and she looks at me and goes um i hate to tell you this but your shirt's on backwards and it's inside out. <laughs> so my wife then told me that, and I didn't, I didn't know this was a thing that apparently that's good luck. Have you ever heard oh, that before? No, I haven't. Yeah. Like I've heard a bird or a pigeon, like pooping on your shoulder or pooping on you is good luck. Yeah, I've heard that bad. one, but like, I've never heard the shirt thing. And so, um, just kind of funny. Cause I, I very rarely do I get myself into those positions, but I looked right at her and I go, I can't wait to tell this story for the rest of the day to all my friends and family members so you're the first one to hear it by the way perfect um, well this so yeah fantastic news and everyone listening watching you're the first ones well you're not the first ones but you're you know you're you're in definitely like top 20 to hear it for there sure, you go for sure there you go i mean and i'm lucky to have you on the podcast so let's just chat I, maybe i'll throw this on backwards real quick to, there you uh, go that a boy more good luck but no that's awesome. I love it. I, like, it's just, it's always fun, right? Like, it's always fun. I don't know, just to not talk about soccer, but then talk about soccer. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense, but I'm with you. I want to chat about what I arguably think, and I don't know if it's arguable, but I want to chat about what is the most, I guess, what's the biggest story of the USL kind of championship season so far. And to me, that Sacramento Republic's U S open cup run. I mean, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Or we can talk about union Omaha, that, that, that beautiful hat you got rocking right now in their own run of their own. Right. But obviously Sacramento, you know, they beat up on the Portland Timbers, U 23 central Valley, Fuego Phoenix rising who are having their own little down season of their own. Right. 
Um, then they, they start taking out MLS teams one by one, San Jose, the Galaxy, and then obviously that semifinal with SKC that I think is maybe arguably the best game of the entire U.S. soccer season in general so far. Right now, to you and to, I think, obviously the people you have plugged in at Sacramento, what has this run meant for the club? Well, it, it means a million things to the club. Number one, the game that is going to be on, is that September 7th, that game? I think it's September 7th. I should, I'm working it. I should probably know. <laughs> now. I should need to figure that out, right? So, yeah, I think it's the 7th. I mean, that, in my opinion, and it's funny because in broadcasting, like, especially as an analyst, you're supposed to speak in definitives, right? Like, you don't say, well, I think. No, we're put in that position because we know, because we've played and we've experienced it, right? But this is one of those positions that when talking about the league, I think and I personally feel that it's the biggest game the USL Championship will have experienced in the modern era. And the modern mm -hmm. era for the current iteration of USL dates back to 2011. Mm -hmm. Now, within that time frame, you didn't see the 2008 Charleston Battery go to the final. We didn't see the 99 Rhinos go and win it against the Rapids, right? So... A lot has gone on within really the last decade. I believe this is the 11th season, if I'm doing my math right. Um, and a lot has gone on in the past decade. And so you've seen, you know, national team players like, you know, Aaron Long and Tyler Adams work their way up through Red Bull. And obviously, you know, Tyler's now at Leeds and doing his thing. And we've seen Sacramento, the only team ever in its inaugural year, go and win a title. We've yeah. seen teams that have set a million records and then moved on to MLS like Cincinnati, only to have it be undone for a team like Phoenix Rising that sets the North American record 20 straight victories. But to me, this still trumps it. it and it's it trumps it for a multitude of reasons. Number one, it's the actual fact of competition that they've literally beat like every single level, right? You've yeah. basically beat a PDL team and the Portland U23s. You've beat a lower division team in League Two in Central Valley Fuego, which is third division in the United States. You've also beat a championship team and you've beaten MLS teams. At that point in time, when they took down Phoenix Rising, it's not the iteration that we see it now. Yeah. Phoenix is struggling and we, and we can get to that for sure, but that was a time where Phoenix had some good results and they had either just beaten or were on the brink of taking down San Antonio. They've done it twice and they sit atop the Western conference. And it's really the first year for Sacramento as well, that Mark Briggs has had his stamp on the team. Cause he came in last year. Was he one he wanted to be the second year of sorts. And then, you know, last year they missed the playoffs. It's the only time that Sacramento have ever missed the playoffs. And I said, coming in that this was going to be, the true representation of what you were going to get from Mark Briggs because we we had never seen all of his style and all of his players implemented into this team. So you finally get it, right? And with, with that came a lot of different things. It came with a tactical change eight, ten games into the season. They started at a four-back. They've now moved traditionally into a three, although, yeah. although balancing tactically like over the last five, six weeks, He's gone back to a four. Now, he normally does it in rotation with his players, some of the younger guys, not the starters. But it shows the versatility within the team and how deep they can run. I would also say that, to me, it's the most important because it's not just what Briggs have done and what Sack has done and what other teams have done historically. It's the amount of teams that have been in this actual tournament, right? Like, this is the most teams that we've ever seen. It's yeah. the deepest that we've ever seen. It's only getting bigger. It's only getting bigger, right? And I'm actually looking. I wrote down every single one. And unfortunately for... Oh, here we go. So, think about this. In, in 1999, when the Rochester Raging Rhinos... God, I love that freaking <laughs> name. When they won it, there were 32 teams in the tournament. Yeah. In 2008, when the Charleston Battery went to the final... There were 40 teams. There were 103 teams in the tournament this season. I mean, in, in 2019, when a couple of teams went to the quarterfinals, St. Louis FC, rest in peace, and New Mexico United, there were 84, right? Yeah. So anyway, what I'm getting at is, is every single year within the pyramid of U.S. soccer, the competition gets closer together. The level raises. The standards are higher. The depth gets stronger. So it means that it's been more difficult for Sacramento Republic to make this run. And yet, seamlessly, it just seems like they go out and they're taking care of business like it's another league game. MLS fans are probably going to look at it and say, 
well, it's not that pretty, and they didn't have all the possession, and maybe they didn't have all the chances. Yes, but my question is, is like, are you going to bring a knife to a gunfight? No, you find a way to turn it around and go head-to-head, right? So, like, against San Jose, that was probably the closer that we've seen out of the the three MLS games, but, like, yeah. they still created a ton, and they were efficient. Against Galaxy, they sat back, absorbed pressure, they were efficient the in the Galaxy. final third, right? Like, they beat them. Like, dude, that was they, a win. They did it. They beat yeah. them, like... I can, one of the best stories I've heard about this Open Cup run. Is this PG? Are we PG-13? Are we R-rated? Don't you fucking say a word. Don't All right, there we go. There we go. <laughs> it's it's Mark Briggs's story talking about how they're up. Um, sorry, they, they were up one nothing. Yeah. We, we always joke, by the way, that you know that they've only conceded, in theory, they've only conceded one goal, and it was to Central Valley Fuego, because the goal that Galaxy scored was actually an own goal. Was so it? Okay, we, joke, yeah. we joke that they've only given up one goal this tournament. Best defensive team in the tournament. Bingo. So <laughs> they go up 1-0. Uh, I believe it's Connor Donovan on the near post on the on the, the uh, own goal against Galaxy. So it's 1-1. And it's like the 60th minute or 65th minute, whatever. And he's standing on the sideline. And... He hears like rumblings that a sub is coming. He doesn't know who the sub is yet. The card comes over. At this point in time, there's multiple players for Galaxy lining up. No one's made their way to the bench. So he turns over, sees the card coming, can't see who it is, doesn't see any player coming over, turns back as play is going on. Then the he the play stops. He turns around. You're talking like a 20-second span where he doesn't pay attention as to what's going on behind him, and he turns his head and goes... Oh shit! It's Chicharito, (laughs) (laughs) and like, but like that. What a freaking story, man! You're talking about legit a world class player who, especially at that point in time, was on a run for Galaxy goal wise. And you've done your job. You don't have your lead, and all of a sudden, these guys are coming on. Yep. So I know, I know a lot of that was a little bit more detailed than some people might have followed, but we're going down a rabbit hole, and it's just to say that the the writing was on the wall that they could beat San Jose. Mm-hmm. The Galaxy one for me, I'm not going to be that guy who was like, oh, I predicted it. I just had a feeling based upon yeah. the tactical setup and the rotation that was going to be that they could do it. The easiest game, in theory, was the KC game. Like that, given their form in MLS and everything, it should have been the easiest win. Of course, they go to Pens and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And now they're here. They got to go on the road to do it. They're coming off a short week. They're playing Louisville. But this is the biggest game in USL championship history and Mark Briggs and co what they've been able to do with, with every single player. There's just San Antonio says they have the mentality monsters and that's great. But like the quality of performance has faded a little bit from them recently. Yeah. The quality of performances hasn't faded from sack. Like they just, they're themselves. They have a true identity and every single time they step onto the pitch, no matter the opponent, they go out and get a result, man. See, like the, the thing about Sacramento that I honestly love is because, like you said, last season was the only season, uh, the first season they missed the playoffs in, in their USL history. And I personally just, I love a team that you know pretty much every single year that you're going to be like, this is a good team. No matter if they're at their best, no matter if they're in a little bit of a slide, you know they're going to give you, they're, they're going to give you a very strong game. They almost remind me of Sporting Kansas City in Major League Soccer to that extent of what. Um, Peter Vermees has kind of built over his tenure at SKC and what Sacramento has built over their entire USL tenure of just being a strong side. Obviously, SKC this year, a little weak. We're going maybe into a change of, of, of pace there for them. But this Sacramento team is one of the more special clubs in U.S. soccer as a whole. And to see them kind of bounce back from what their 2021 was to now what they could possibly do in taking home a major trophy over MLS competition and making a CONCACAF Champions League tournament, like, that's sick. Like, that's that, that's just sick to think about. Remember this as well, by the way. And and I actually said this yesterday, um, talking to Mark Briggs. We had, we had a conversation yesterday morning. We were talking about Open Cup and some of the, the metrics that were coming. Remember the fact that going into that Sporting Kansas City game, they were seventh in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. They were a point away from not being in playoff contention in the sense that they would have been below the playoff line. Now, yeah, I get it. There, there's games left on the schedule and yada, yeah. yada, yada. But that team, in basically a month's time, because the game was end of September, I think it was the September 27th, or excuse me, July 27th, if I'm not mistaken. So in basically a month's time, and that went over Sporting KC. They've gone from seventh in the Western Conference and possibility of dropping below the playoff line to sitting in fifth 
with a chance on the weekend of jumping into a top four spot and hosting a home playoff match. They could go as high as third at the end of this. Like, I don't see them chasing San Diego loyal down, but I said going into the stretch that they are currently in, it actually have to go back one game prior. It was the Phoenix rising game. So they were on the road at Phoenix. So away Phoenix home open cup semifinal back to the East coast for the Charleston battery back to the West coast on the road for New Mexico United Home RGV, away Monterey Bay, home Colorado Springs, away Vegas. Now they're home Oakland, then away Louisville. What I said was, if they if they win this game, talking about the semifinal that was, it is a nine-game stretch that is going to define the rest of their season. So they've put themselves in magnificent position because not only did they win that Open Cup semifinal, and they're going to play in that ninth game that I referenced in that window on September 7th at Orlando City, Yeah, they drew Phoenix. They beat Charleston Battery. They beat New Mexico United. That's 2-0-1-1 right there. They drew RGV, so you're unbeaten through four. The loss at Monterey Bay was simple. They didn't play well. They were hungover. Too much travel, and they got out of their way. Mm-hmm. Then they beat Colorado Springs, and now they 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 were the better team against Las Vegas, which is the most important thing in this run. So they're 3-2-2 two, two through seven games. That is exactly what you're looking for. Like, yes, of course you want to be unbeaten, but like course, you're, yeah. you're not on the wrong side of it. You're three and three, three, five, seven. And through seven games, you've got, what is that? Nine, 10, 11 points. Through seven games, you've got 11 points. Yeah, You're, you're managing just fine, especially when the Western Conference that is this year, it's a mess, man. Like they are, the entire Western Conference is is terrible. So like El Paso Locomotive was 10 games unbeaten. Yep. They're O in the last six with Awful. one draw sprinkled Awful. in, right? Like five losses in a draw. Los Dos, no wins in the last six. Oakland, one win in the last five. Phoenix, one win in the last five. So basically, and then Vegas, the only win that Vegas had in their last six is actually Sacramento. So everybody else around them that was on that bubble that we talked about end of July when they're playing Sporting Kansas City, yeah. hit the doldrums, dropped down their form, and Sporting or uh, Sacramento said, Thank you very much. I'm just going to go handle my business. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much like you just said, right? Like they they did what they had to do. Sure, you drop a few points here and there, but it's soccer in the U.S. is not going to be something where you're going to go on these long winless, uh, I guess, sorry, unbeaten streaks unbeaten, because yeah. like travel just sucks in general. Um, so I think like they took advantage of a situation, did what they had to do. Now they're looking good in the league for, for a solid playoff spot. Now you're looking good in the Open Cup for you're playing in a final, you're playing for a trophy. You could have a very special season. 2022 could be a very special season for Sacramento. The, the last thing that I want to ask you about the Sacramento kind of whole situation with the U.S. Open Cup has... Yeah. The storyline kind of been beaten dead about, you know, they were supposed to be the team to make Major League Soccer and, um, you know, investors backed out. And now this is kind of their revenge against MLS or whatever it may be, because I'm seeing that from obviously I see a little bit more of an MLS perspective and an MLS point of view from around um, from around, you know, Twitter and everything like that. But is that something that's been spoken about or is that just like not even a thought? No, they they speak about it for sure. I would say that. The aftermath of it is probably more prevalent within MLS just because it's first division sort of looking down. And that yeah. that viewpoint kind of skews itself in a multitude of ways. One is it's the big brother, right? Yeah. And so, oh, well, they could have been up here, but they're not. So now okay. they're just pissed off and they're going on the run. Within within the argument overall for the team, they don't give a crap, man. They don't care. Like, it, it doesn't bother them. It's Good. It's old news. I would say that, and I want to be clear, I'm guessing in this situation, but having a personal relationship with Mark Briggs and, and the professional side of it. Like, yeah, I'm sure there's probably some, some anger behind him or fr- no, anger is not the right word. There's probably some, some frustration. There's probably some regret that it didn't happen because okay. let's, let's be very clear here. Mark Briggs came from an MLS organization where he got a raw deal and that, that may not be a popular opinion, but like, falsely accused name run into the basically what happened to Briggs was like he was accused of something that never happened there was a full investigation and the person the person who was who fired him actually lost her job like Deloitte fired her yeah because she got it wrong but they don't tell that side of the story Mm -hmm. and so I'm sure there was frustration because he was on a good path with the Monarchs like that 2017 team and even 2018 when they started 
um, was in a good position. Like yeah. they, they were a good team. And, you know, most of the players that were there during that 2019 title run, Briggs put into that organization, or at least combination of Briggs and Martin Vasquez, who was the academy director at that point in time. And if, if you're a coach and you're set up and then all of a sudden that gets ripped out from underneath you and another opportunity is provided, absolutely you're going to be pissed. If you're a player, you're going to be pissed in that situation. Yeah. So I'm sure there's some anger there. But as a whole, that's not really a rhetoric that, that spews itself around the league overall. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely get that, right? Like, it does seem almost like, um, well, it doesn't seem, I think it, it is disrespectful to to Sacramento as an organization to be like, the only reason why you're you're this good or you're th- like, you know, this is happening is because of what happened a few years ago. And it's like, no, this is a good team. This is a team that's done its job and they're, they're, they're getting rewarded for it. Um, do you think, and this is a, your opinion, this is not, yeah. I know, you know, you're supposed to speak in fact. No, no, no. You're, this is an opinion. you're good. Do you think that Sacramento have a legitimate shot at uh, going to Disney world and, and, and taking home a, a, a trophy? You know, it's funny. So I, I've been asked this a bunch and to me, MLS fans not might not like this b- because of kind of the talent and overall and stuff, but I actually feel that it's the most difficult game they're going to have to play. And if you think about that, like, yeah, like talent wise, you could make the argument that Galaxy are better, right? For sure. Like compared to, to Orlando, like, yeah, depending on the time of year and some of the games, like obviously San Jose have had their problems for sure. But like, if Orlando's at San Jose for a game, like, and they're at their best, like I, I would probably pick San Jose. Like it's, mm-hmm. You know, but again, like everybody's up and down, like everybody's had their runs and stuff. But just looking overall, it's the most difficult one. And it's not just because it's Orlando. It's because, and I briefly mentioned it earlier, but Sacramento Republic are going to leave their hometown and state on a Thursday. They're going to fly cross country to Louisville. So you're changing time zones. The good news is, is at least for the Open Cup game, you will have been in the Eastern Conference time zone for the better portion of six days. Okay. okay. Yeah. But you're you're still flying cross country. You're playing the number one team in the Eastern Conference who, when that game comes around, will either be the number one or be in contention for the number one overall seed in USL. Yeah. That's a big ask. Louisville's one of the best teams in the league, no question. So you got to go do that. Then... You got to turn around on short notice, fly to Orlando the next day. They're going to fly directly there. So basically, they finish the game on Saturday night. They get up Sunday morning. They're flying. Then they got to go play an MLS team on the road in a cup final game. An MLS team, mind you, that smartly, and I don't fault them for it, has moved their game that was supposed to be against Inter-Miami on Sunday. Very smart move. It's very smart. And unfortunately, Sacramento Republic was unable to get the same good grace sent their way. I respectfully am going to bow out on that subject and not say why, but we're just going to say that basically they tried to move the Louisville game. It couldn't happen for whatever reason, and we'll leave it at that. So you've got cross-country travel. You've got a difficult opponent. you got to turn around with a team that's only, you know, they're going to be on a week's rest because they play midweek. Yeah. I would say that the best part, of this entire equation is it looks like from what I'm seeing and hearing Pato is no longer available. It looks like from what I'm seeing or hearing and this baby news, Robin Janssen is no longer going to be available. Mm-hmm. So like the center back pairing. Okay. Now you've got Rodrigo Schlegel who's coming in and like, he's a serviceable center back, but you can attack him for sure. In my yeah. opinion, um, you know, if you don't have Pato, you know, urchin car, like, is he your nine? Is he going to be in form? Of course, Giochini has come in. Like, there's a lot of question marks within that team on the attacking side and defensive side, in my opinion. Like, I, I know that no. team very, very well. And and seeing them, like, yeah, they're still very dangerous. But, like, this is a massive ask for Sacramento. There are, there are a lot more chips stacked against them than there are against Orlando, even with the injuries. I personally lean towards Orlando winning. But I will Same. say that Sacramento have a very good shot if things go like if everything goes right or not everything if most things go right down their path that they can upset Orlando because Orlando absolutely not a good team this year major league soccer I've said that before they are on they're hot they're cold I know I like Oscar Pereja and I like his experience that he brings but you're just seeing injuries stack up you're seeing inconsistent play the DP is not 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 working out in in the greater sense so I lean Orlando, but I think Sacramento, you bring that energy and that passion that Mark Briggs brought against SKC that 
every single player on that field was bringing in that semifinal game. I think there's a real shot that Sacramento, you know, make continue to make some USL history uh, in, in Orlando. And you know what's interesting in the matchup itself, and and this is just and more on more so on the knowledge of Sacramento than the game, but like yeah. there are plenty of times where like you know the David and Goliath matchup that everybody wants to talk about, right? But a lower division team against a against a first division team, and in in that game, that if the lower division team scores, it almost like. You know, don't wake the sleeping bear. Don't poke yeah. the sleeping dragon. Like, don't piss somebody off and be like, okay, we've scored against Orlando, and now you've made him upset. You've scored against Galaxy, now you've made him upset. I don't see that from Sacramento at all. They're, like, probably one of, if not the only team in USL because of the way that they set up defensively and how good they are on both sides. Like, they're a team that similar – they're a better attacking team than San Antonio as a team. Yeah. I would say the individuals in San Antonio are better, but – defensively there's a, a genetic makeup that's actually quite similar from a dna perspective where the whole team all hands on deck defends like they are park it lock it down so like if they score in the first minute i'm okay with it because they can hold the lead for 89 minutes plus to make sure that they're getting out of orlando with a victory if the game stretches longer i'm okay with it because orlando is just going to get frustrated and pissed off like yeah. that can score in the first minute they can score in the 91st minute and they can score in the 119th minute or win in pens. Like they have that magic about them. But to your point, they've still got to get some things to go their way. I I, I am rooting for Sacramento. I will just come out and say you like, have to, right? I, like you have you have to root for you have to root for the USL team here. Unless you're an Orlando City fan, that's the only exception for you not to be rooting for for Sacramento, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, let's dive into some other USL drama that's been going on. Um, Juan Guerra. The, uh, departing Oklahoma Roots, uh, sorry, Oklahoma, Oakland Roots, Jesus, to replace uh, Rick Schatz as the next manager of Phoenix Rising. This was a mess. It seemed very messy um, about what potential tampering was going on or illegal contact was going on. I'm not sure of the right phrasing there, so I'll let you handle the correct phrasing. But pretty much from the understanding that I got, Phoenix illegally illegally contacted um, Guerra about, you know, replacing Chance as their next manager. Um, the news came out, then Phoenix and Oakland had to come to a buyout agreement, and now everything is good and dandy. Oakland have their money, Phoenix have their next manager. Am I incorrect in saying all of that? You're not incorrect in saying all of it, although I would change some of the wording only because the tampering is allegedly alleged tampering thank you it's not proven it wasn't legal they didn't go down that route yes and and obviously social media had a field day with it but basically in in theory and this is for any sport let's be clear what i'm about to explain in theory if someone's under contract now this is player or a coach we'll stay with the coach route if someone's under contract and another team wants them the method of communication would be as follows we'll call team a the team that is, you know, holding the coach and team B, the wanty, right? The, the, the desiree. So team B goes to team A and says, we want to speak to Juan Guerra becoming our next head coach. Team A would then have to say, okay, you have permission. We will have needs that need to be met as well. And sometimes those needs are talked about ahead of time. Yeah. Sometimes the conversation happens with the coach because the, the luxury has been given and then they find an agreement. The idea is that Phoenix went directly to Juan Guerra. That is the rumor that went on. I will neither confirm nor deny because all alleged. All it's alleged. all alleged. Exactly. So Oakland, to your point, get their money. Um, I've actually been told that supposedly they they didn't like the league doesn't even know how much money that Oakland have gotten for him. Okay. Um, I know he was on a multi year deal, so like. Look, if, if we use fictitious numbers and round numbers, let's say he was on a five-year deal and this was his first year, right? So he's got four more deal, four more years, and it was a hundred bucks a year. So he's got four hundred dollars remaining. Like throw him two or three hundred bucks, you know, don't double what's left, but throw him a couple hundred bucks, you know, basically like one and a half times or two, somewhere in that area, and let's call okay. it a day. Um Oakland are happy financially, apparently. Phoenix are more than happy. I actually think it's a very interesting hire. I get it because, you know, I mentioned the word DNA earlier. The chemistry is there for Juan Guerra. Like, he helps select and recruit most of the guys that are on that roster. Yeah. Uh, people, if, if you don't know or in USL Championship, if they've forgotten, Juan left very late last year. He left in December. So 
at that point in time, Phoenix, if I'm, I'd have to look on my board, but they had everybody minus like two or three players that they knew they were going to bring in to the 2022 season. Mm-hmm. He helped recruit guys like Babukar Jai, right? And, you know, the outside wing back and defender that they want to bring in. And so he had his hands all over that team. It's a much easier transition in theory of bringing him in because he knows, a, the, team. He knows the team really, really well. I would also say B that he's, He's regarded as a pretty tactical and smart coach around the USL championship. Now, his head coaching experience isn't vast, of course, because he's only been with Oakland this year. And they're in a deadlock race for a playoff position as well. But Martin Rennie gave him high praise when he was an assistant at Indy 11. Rick Schantz and everybody that was there talked about him on the sidelines as if he was the second coming of Christ, you know, the Messiah. And, and, And there have been no secrets about what, was going on in Phoenix in terms of a coaching standpoint. Rick is a man manager, okay? Yeah. And he's very good at it. He's very good at making sure guys are positive and headed in the right direction. And they had, for years on end, surrounded him with very smart, um, technically gifted coaches. That's not to say that the guys there now aren't. It's just to say that the ones that were there previously, like Juan Guerra, like Steve Cook, who's now with the Sounders and the head of their academy like Blair Gavin, who's with the Columbus Mm -hmm. crew, and maybe coming back to USL. There's a little foreshadowing for you. Um, Like Peter Ramage, who's the head of Newcastle United in in the Prem, their U23s. Like These are guys who played the game at a high level, have a high tactical understanding, and they're given a lot of praise. Juan was one of those guys. And, you know, Andy Chapman, uh, Danny Stone, it just wasn't the same. So it's easier for for, um, Bobby Dooley to bring Juan Guerra back. Thought maybe they might have gone outside of the USL community, or if they went stayed within the USL community, they might have gone after someone who had success within the league and maybe recently. Like Ian Russell is a name that was tossed around, yeah. you know, who was head of Reno, who's now, you know, still on the staff with Bob Bradley in Toronto. Like that was a name that that kind of circulated the job a little bit. Rumor was that he was in the running for the San Jose position. That yeah. didn't happen. So to me, Juan's safe because he's he's been part of it, but they still got to go win. And and I would say the other thing about it that's interesting to me is them not waiting. This team is built to win, and they're built to win now. So they weren't willing to throw in the towel and say we need a turnaround, right? Yeah, now. we're yeah we're gonna ride the way with Danny or Andy, and we're just gonna let these guys see it out. We can yeah. reconvene. You know, they want to go make a statement that hey, even through all the crap that we've gone through, we can find a way to get a result. And and to be fair, like, okay, yeah, like, there's there's only, what, one loss in their last six or five? There's only one win, though, but they haven't yeah. conceded a ton, and and there's still four or five points off the playoff race, so they're still right there. They could get into the postseason. And individually, there is a ton of talent on that team. It's maybe you bring in a guy like Guerra who, who can tactically just bring it all together, hopefully. Um, to me, like you were saying, or I don't know if you were saying this exactly, but to me, it does seem like a little bit of a safe move. It seems like we want to bring in someone familiar so that we can win right now. Um, that That's how I took it. I would have liked to see an Ian Russell. I talked to Sam Gleedle a few weeks ago, and Sam yep. spoke yep. the world of Ian Russell and what he yep. did for his yep. own career. And I know there's plenty of other players out there who have that um, a feeling and opinion of Ian Russell. But it'll be interesting to see. Phoenix obviously holds a very high standard at the end of the day, which which is rightfully so. They've won a lot in the past few years. So I'm hoping that you know things continue positive under Guerra for Phoenix and that Oakland can move into to their own right direction as well. Um, I want to quickly touch on Hartford Athletic. They obviously named Tab Ramos as their next manager yesterday or two days ago at this point. This week is blending into itself with me. But <laughs> Ramos, obviously, you know, a USMNT legend. He was a U.S. Youth National Team legend. We can call him as the U-20 stint that he had, and he did a fantastic job with those youngsters. The gig at Houston didn't go great with the Houston Dynamo, but now – you know, he's back taking over his second club job with um, with Hartford. Do you think that Tab Ramos could be the guy to get Hartford back to, you know, their 2020 level or, or even beyond that? Yeah, so it's funny interviewing him yesterday for the for the All Access show on Sirius XM. He made a joke. He was like, you know, some people still think I'm a good coach. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's start from the ground level with the question. Tab Ramos 
has had his hands heavily, and I actually kind of tweeted a little bit of this out, but has had his hands heavily on the development of not some of, but the biggest names in American soccer, possibly ever. Now, if we go historically, like, of course, you want to talk about Brian McBride and Eric Ronaldo and and John Harks and Tony Miola as we continue to move up, Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, you know, the deuce is my favorite player ever that's worn the stars and stripes. But if we're talking about, you know, the, the current genre, the golden generation, like, Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, um, you know, Weston McKinney, you could continue to funnel through the ranks. And like he, Tim Weah, like he, he spoke yeah. really highly of Timothy Weah. Like he was really involved in, in the regular development of these young players. And so it's easy for people to look and go, oh, they're national team players, but they spent, you know, whether you were 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, whatever, getting calls to the U20s, some of their stops were longer than others. Mm-hmm. But the success was there. And as a coach within the national team ranks, you are given, we'll say, easier parameters to operate by. Even Tab Ramos said this himself. Like, the vision is much more clear and it's defined for you as opposed to putting together what you want the entire future to look like, right? Okay. So, like, regardless of who's at the helm, I mean, he, he took over in – he took the U-20s over in, 19, in, in 09. He was there till 19. So there's a decade. This is funny. Bobby Dooley from Phoenix Rising is calling. Should we answer it? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> Hang on, bro. Don't say anything to implicate yourself. I'm in the middle of a podcast. Can I call you back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, <bye. laughs> God love him. Um, <laughs> love it. I mean, he could have implicated himself a little bit, but it's fine. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> um, so... In that, in that decade, I mean, obviously we had multiple – that was the Klinsman era. That yeah. was the Dave Sarakin transition, right? Um, and, of course, of course, um, and now we, have, now we have a different regime that's going on there and with, with Burhalter. For Tab to be within that system and environment for so long and to help to produce players and not be a good coach is a freaking joke. Obviously, yeah. he, he's capable. There are a couple of things that people have to understand. There's a very big difference of – managing young men who are beginning their professional careers at the domestic level and Mm -hmm. who have experience internationally and taking care of grown men who are fighting to put bread on their table. Exactly. I would also say that I, I personally didn't think Houston was the right fit for him. That's my own opinion. I didn't, I didn't like the setup there. I didn't think the culture was right for him. That's a word that's thrown around a ton. I, I mean it in the sense of the types of players that were there at his disposal. Yeah. Um, I, I like the setup better for him in Hartford for a couple of reasons. One, the, the owner has come out and said to him and said to everybody within the organization and now the league, they're going to spend more money. Okay. Tab said Tab said recently to us that, you know, gone are the days at any level, but especially in the USL championship where you can spend a little bit more money and get better. Now teams are spending a little bit more money to stay the same. Mm-hmm. And so you have to spend a lot more money to actually take a higher step and make yourself more relevant and, and push through the ranks. So Hartford Athletic, they're – how do I say this politely – do you, want, do you want me their, to say? Their, their budget is not at the top of the league. We'll just okay. say that. They don't okay. operate with a, with a ton of wealth behind them. That doesn't mean that um, – oh, what's Bruce's last name? He's going to kill me. Anyway, that doesn't mean that their owner doesn't have money. It just means that he's allocated in other areas. They, they have never had a very big budget. So it was difficult in general to get players to come there. You know, every single season, though – has kind of had a caveat about it. They, they, this is going to be their fourth head coach yeah. in, in four years, right? So you had Jimmy Nielsen. They played the first eight games on the year in 2019, doomed to fail. 2020, it's a COVID year. They won their group, and they were in the playoffs. Like, Roddy Jaidi was a good fit for the league, wasn't a good fit for the team. The vision was different. They didn't agree with some of the hard-nosed stuff that comes from a player who you know, beats into submission the international ranks and playing in the Prem for so long. He's yeah. kind of old school. I respect it. I like it. It didn't work I there. Him. I like same, him. same. I loved him and love current. And, and then you have, you had Harry Watling who came in, who only knew very young players. There's, you know, yeah. and, and let's be clear here, like tab knew young players, but tab knew young men, Harry knew boys, yeah. you know, he knew kids. Like, I don't care who he's worked with. 
um, at the youth ranks in Chelsea and West Ham and stuff. But like working with nine to 14 year olds is very different than working with 15 to 19 year olds. Yeah. Not a knock on him. A little right? different than like guys who are about to start their professional career. Dude, if, dude, if you're an elementary school teacher, if you go to high school, there's going to be a freaking difference. Like yeah, it's bit. not a knock on the individual. It's just simple. Like there's going to be growing yeah. pains and, and they just never produced. Now that tab steps in, I do think it's a good blend. The fact that they're pumping money into it is a good blend. They've got to find a way scheduling wise to batter through some of the cold games early on in the season. If you go and look, remove their inaugural year, every single year they play a ton of games on the road to start because yeah. it's Hartford in in late February, early March. Nobody wants to go there and play in the 40 degree weather. Nobody wants to play in it. Yeah. So to benefit them, they schedule games away from home. Okay, well, when you're a crap team on the road, that doesn't benefit you because now all of a sudden you're always fighting above the table. Yep. Started um, off on such a negative. Yeah, I want to see Tom. I want to see what he does with the roster. I asked him point blank. I said, like, how many guys are on deals? How many are you going to keep? He goes, it's not fair of me to to say that right now. I don't have a good sample size. Fair. I did ask the owner if I wanted to revamp this team and get rid of everyone and start from scratch. Would you be okay with it? With the understanding that the results may not be what you want right away, and the owner told him yes. So. So that's an interesting one. Full rebuild. But it, that is an interesting one. Yeah. They do have some talent there. And Ray yeah. Reed, who's the technical director, I mean, that guy built the UConn program from bottom all the way to the top of national champions. You know, they're old friends. They, they worked within the United States um, national team levels for, for a long period of time. They know each other. That's a good fit. All of this says it's a good fit. But... You're still at the pro ranks and you still got to get results. And Tab's aware of that. He said, look, it doesn't matter what I do at the end of the day. Like, maybe I'm here in 10 years. Maybe I maybe I work my way through and I get a, another job at another level. Maybe I'm gone within two years. I don't know. Yeah. I just got to get to work right away. And it's going to take a lot of work to get them above the playoff line. And, look, at the end of the day, like you, you kind of touched on it a little bit. At the end of the day, in the global game now, money speaks. Money will help out a lot because, like you said, you can spend a little bit and stay the same or slightly improve or, or slightly get worse. Or you can spend, you can bring in some talent, develop young talent, however you got to do it. And, and winning at the end of the day also cures all. So Bingo. I'm sure I, I am, I'm staying positive for Tev. Um, that that winning at the end of the day will happen for him with with Hartford because it's a good market. I honestly do believe in Tab is going to be a good coach, and I think wherever he does find that that footing and that placement for himself, it'll happen and and it'll be strong. Um, Devin, I have one more question for you, and then I'll let you go because you've been very gracious with your time. You're good. I asked Wilson Harris this a few weeks ago, and he gave me a very diplomatic player answer. I wasn't expecting anything um, yeah. less of it. But I was asking him about the young talent that's being developed or not even originally developed, but young talent that's just getting major minutes and playing very well in USL and moving over to Europe or moving into larger leagues. Over the past, like, what, two windows, we've seen Kobe Henry, Jose Gallegos, Jonathan Gomez, Diego Luna, uh, Ronaldo Damos, um, Christian Pirano. I know he's back, but uh, whatever. He's still he's only on loan, right? So yep. we've, seen, we've seen so much young talent be able to flourish and thrive in USL and make its way over into MLS bigger leagues. Do you think right now that this is what USL has to continue to do in order to kind of grow – their exposure and their name globally or even domestically within the United States? The short answer is yes, because you are in this country, much like any country, you're fighting an uphill battle against the homegrown territories of MLS. Yeah. Um, if, you know, the, the background doesn't exist here at this point in time within our country like it does in others, like in Europe, you know, specifically if, you look at all the clubs that are just in London alone, right? At, at every single division, like, you know, it's it's the Prem and the Championship, then League One, League Two, National League North. Like, quickly, you work your way down. There's a pride factor that comes with all of those where, yes, you do, in fact, want to go play for the biggest teams. But usually, you want to play for your hometown team and yeah. you want to start there. And so, yeah, maybe it's Sheffield United or Coventry City. And maybe it is Man United. Within this country right now, it's also some of the American nature that, that that's kind of been bred into us because of sports coming up. You only want to be with the number one. So, you know, if, if you're in South Florida right now, most kids aren't barking to go, I want to go play for Inter Miami. 
That's that's not to say that they don't. It's just yeah. to say that like their academy, Darren Powell's doing a great job there, but their academy like isn't the best academy in the United States, right? And they haven't funneled a ton of players successfully to their first team. So most guys growing up are like, great, like who's the best academy in the United States? Okay, well, you can look at LAFC and you can look at the Seattle Sounders, right? And like the fruits of their labor that have come out. Yeah. So USL is going to fight that because guys within their quote unquote territories, which there are none in USL, but if it's a Kobe Henry in Orange County, that kid got bounced from Orlando to enter to Orange County. And people are like, oh, MLS teams didn't want him. No, it's not that they didn't want him. It's that he didn't have the ability to move up through the ranks. So he yeah. saw the writing on the wall that he wasn't going to have the ability to progress compared to where his talent level was. So smartly, he gambled on himself and he won. Yeah, he put his career so, in his own hands. Bingo. So like if you're in the city of Irvine and you're coming up right now, it is it's Orange County. It's Cal United, and people are going to be like, oh, Cal United, Nisa team. Slow your roll. Don Ebert, the head coach of Cal United, at that point in time, he might still be there, is solely responsible for taking Bobby Wood to Germany. And that's a pretty big name within the United States. Like, he brought him to Germany yeah. in his first chance. He helped get him to Hamburg. He helped funnel him to the United States Youth, youth and now Senior National Team, of course. Um, so you're fighting those two teams and LA Galaxy. And LAFC. Maybe you push yourself a little further outside of MLS where you've got Barca Residency Academy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can step across state lines and all of a sudden you're dealing with Real Salt Lake. So you're definitely going to have to continue to fight that. The difference now is within the past two windows, as you mentioned, in really 18 months, is the recognition within the soccer community is starting to become more apparent that not just the fact that the talent by players is there, but the ability to take the talent to your point of Kobe Henry or Wilson Harris, almost like a a piece of artwork that has been with a high-level sculptor that maybe didn't get finished, and you've got an understudy that's come in. The talent is there to now morph that into a finished product. And so I look at guys that have already gone, but to your point, like Manny Perez, outside back from Louisville City, right? It was the debacle out of the draft in Nashville yeah. and, and Celtic, and now back you know, alone at Austin, and now with Louisville. Like That's a guy who is in a really good spot for himself. Wilson Harris is in a really good spot. And, you know, the other thing you have to notice is when you get into attacking players, it's very simple. It is easier in this country to be a defender, a goalkeeper, or a holding midfielder and get an opportunity compared to a striker or a 7 or 11 because those are positions, historically, that MLS is going to go get DPs or young DPs for. Yeah. Right? So, like... People are going to look at Wilson Harris and go, oh, you know, he couldn't break through. I respectfully disagree with that. Was he given an opportunity? A little bit. Yeah, like, I, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, like, what is it, 13 games within MLS or something like that? That Here, I'm looking at his record right now. In 2021, he got nine games with the senior team. In 2021, he got one game in League's Cup. Whatever, that's great. Peace. So <laughs> so, so within, within his... At that point in time, 76-game career, yeah, only nine of which had come with the first team. That's really not a lot of looks. Now, that's not to say that that, that he wasn't, you know, he, that he wasn't going to make it or he was going to make it, but like Alan Pulido, Gotti Kinda, like you start to run through the ranks there of guys that were there and who he's fighting the battle against. Daniel Shallowy, Johnny Russell, yeah. like the list is long but distinguished. And then you've got a homegrown who's like, oh, trying to fight his way. Like, that doesn't mean he can't play. Yeah. He's a very good player. He just needed a chance. And he's proved it. Like, he did it within USL before with, respectfully to my boy, Paolo Nagamura, like, a less inferior team. Or a more mm -hmm. inferior team in Sporting Kansas City, too. He right? won. The, he was the young player of the year. Dude, the kid can score. He's, yeah. he's a natural scorer. It's simple. Yeah. And, like, he's, he's done it as he's continued the maturation process mentally, physically, like, He's gotten a little bit taller. He's dropped some of the baby weight. Yeah. He's much better in the air. That kid presses his ass off now like I've never seen ever in the sporting organization. That's not a knock against Peter Vermees. It's just it's his age. It's the evolution as a player. And so as you continue to look around here, tell them I'm unavailable, by the way. Um, <laughs> as you continue to look around the league, it is going to become more prevalent. Look, you can stay within Louisville. Josh Winder is going to be a seven-figure transfer as soon as possibly this summer or fall window and leaving this country. Now, yeah. could it be later than that? Absolutely. But people, parents, players, coaches, 
front office executives, you know, managers, they're going to look around and go, okay, A, how do we get our hands on these guys? And B, oh, crap, maybe we're going to have to start relying on paying for some of these diamonds in the rough that we didn't have our hands on to begin with as opposed to the other way around, right? Like like Diego Luna. Yeah. Did Diego Luna is a perfect example of 250 it. 250-plus with sell-on and everything. And, you know, was it San Jose? He was part of the San Jose Academy, so they're getting sell-on. And, yeah. you know, Real Salt Lake has got to pay some to El Paso and the initial fee and blah, blah, blah. Like, if I'm MLS, I'm trying to find a way to look to the USL Academies. I'm trying to find a way to look to the 18, 19, 20-year-olds to find those guys early on as opposed to waiting a little bit longer because it's only going to get harder. It, 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 it's the reason why in England, yes, it's a smaller country, but it's the reason why it's so flooded because as this country grows within this game, you have more opportunity, you have more clubs, better coaching, higher talent. Guys are jumping ship left and right because they want to play most importantly, and they want to get better. Kobe Henry is a prime example of that. I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, like you just said, guys want to play. And as we've seen in most career soccer careers throughout the world, when players are getting minutes, they're getting better and they're improving. They can sit on a bench and train under the best managers in the world, but that only takes you so far. You have to be able to get minutes in real live action. Real live David game. Beckham, Preston North End, done. There you go. I mean, there you go. Look, I mean, you can even take a modern example of Zach Steffen at Manchester City, right? Like he's getting talked out of the USMNT goalkeeping picture because Matt Turner's playing and playing really well. Zach Steffen needs to go on loan, even though he's training under Pep Guardiola. Like it's it's very smart, I think, for young players in the United States who don't see a clear pathway from some of these MLS organizations. Um to, to go out on loan to a USL team or to be like, you know what, like, screw it. I'm going here because I've seen Orange County <clears throat> go from, you know, developing players from USL to um, to Scotland, right? Because they have their partnership with Rangers or to other parts of Europe or, or whatever it may be. It's just, it's a smart play. It's a smart move on these guys to take their career in their own hands. And at the end of the day, I think USL and MLS are going to have to work better together at some point for it to improve but that's just that's just my take on that and one addition to it before we step off here so much has changed and is yeah. rapidly changing within the structure of this country yeah we just saw news broken yesterday i'm going to give you another example of a player the first one is jeremy raffanello jeremy raffanello yeah. was an academy player who actually started off with a huge program in the northeast with fc delco then goes to ysc the feeder system, obviously, for the Philadelphia Union. He's with their academy. He's on academy contract with Bethlehem Steel. Goes to play for Jeff Cook at Penn State. Has one great season. And then all of a sudden, he bounces around, right? So, like, he's with FC Helsinger. He's with Indy 11. Then he's back with Red Bull 2. And now he's made a homegrown with Philadelphia Union. People need to recognize, one, I, I talked about how it's kind of been bred into us to go be the best and the brightest. That's a very good thing. Because it pushes us yeah, athletically yeah. and a lot of other areas to be this phenom and to be the next player. If you're a young kid at home or your parent at home, if your son or child or daughter, whatever, does not do that right away, you haven't failed. Jeremy Raffanello proved that yesterday, that if it doesn't go your way to begin with, that's just fine. And the example that I'm going to give on the backside of it is don't give up on the college game either especially with no. the movement towards the 21st century model, how we're going to elongate the season, you are going to see more and more relationships be developed within the youth to college to senior level. I'm getting ready. I mentioned, I'm, you know, my season starts and I'm getting on a plane in 18 hours. I'm going to go call Indiana at Clemson. That's the reigning national champion in Clemson University Tigers and Mike Noonan as the head coach. And that's Indiana who, if they need an introduction on this podcast, we got to talk. <laughs> but Todd Yeagley, the Yeagley family, the godfather, Jerry Yeagley, what they have done single-handedly changed the entire landscape yeah. for college soccer. And they're going to play there. Clemson has an affiliation with Montford. Montford in Florida is a hotbed for every single sport. Clemson also has an affiliation with the Columbus crew. Yeah, And so you're going to see more of that around the country. As the college game continues to go, so do players. You don't have to make that jump right away. And the biggest misconception is, I'm in the academy, I got to go pro. Guess what, dude? That may not be the right time for you. 
You may not have fully developed at the physical standpoint. Mentally, you may need to hone your skills yeah. at a different level or in a different environment. And the kid that I'm going to talk about, it's funny because his dad, all due respect, has been bugging me for a while <laughs> in the best of ways. His name is Sam Williams. Sam's okay. 17 years of age. He ha- he is the most efficient passer and has the highest number of minutes for any academy player in the USL championship. He's in the Red Bull program. He doesn't turn 18 till March of next season. He's tall enough. He's a little bit skinny, but that's okay. He's got 19 appearances this year, one goal. He's got 37 pro appearances in the past two seasons. And guess what? He's going to go play for Color Samoano at UNC. UNC is a great college school. Red Bull has produced youth talent. Yeah. Why is the kid passing up the pro game? Because that's the right move for him right now. Exactly. Now, like Jeremy Raffanello, that could be one year. It could be three years. But as this thing continues to go and develop – If it's an MLS player, a USL player, a college player, an academy player, people need to recognize the fact that the number one jump isn't always the right step. And you you can find a way outside of just going to play for MLS or just going to play for USL or skip college and go play pro. Like there's a different route for every single player. I I listen to a lot of content that's created by ex-athletes of the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. Like I, I'm a sports nerd. I'm a sports Same. nut, right? So like I like listening to the player point of view. And it's changed me from when I think I was younger. And I was just, just like, you know, this is my team. My team's doing right. Like root for the team, right? To now yeah. more of like you see the business end. You see player pathways. You see how players may have been screwed in the past or kind of um, just different ways that guys made it from youth to college to professional in, in, in every sport. Um, and I think with that mindset, like that almost allows you to understand what you just said that much more in the sense of like everyone's path is different, especially in a game like soccer that is so global and the U.S. This is still soccer still relatively new to us and we're still growing the soccer culture here in the U.S. And it's going to be so interesting to see like the importance of the USL academies, the importance of the MLS academies, college ranks, the super draft, um, you know, just where NISA, like where it all fits in together. We're so, it's so brand new and all these players are going to have all these different pipelines and options to getting to this point and getting to bigger points for their career. I love it. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I think what you just said kind of just, just it is a, is exactly how I feel about the American soccer game. And and Jeremy Raffanello is a stud. He was sitting behind me a few weeks ago at a Red Bull 2 game in in, uh, in Montclair, New Jersey. And he was sitting just rooting on the Red Bull 2 boys. Now he has to go, you know, root against them. But <laughs> The <your> um, empire. <laughs> Devin, thank you so much, man. This has been awesome. This has been great. I seriously appreciate your time and, and the insight that you just gave into USL and US soccer in general. Um, I guess where is, I guess outside of the college game, or if you want to plug the college game, whatever, where's the next call where people can, uh, can hear your voice? I will be the lead analyst for ESPN this year again, alongside Dallin Cuff. So uh, almost every Friday night, ACC Network Game of the Week. This Friday will be ESPNU, Clemson, Indiana. USL games any single Saturday. I'll be on Open Cup coverage. Can't say what that is yet because it hasn't been publicly released, but um, there's going to be a there's going to be a star-studded cast from Taylor Twellman and John Champion all the way down to to people the bottom feeders like myself that are going to get to cover it. Um, NCAA soccer, Academy the Rebels, you name it. I don't sleep, so uh, <laughs> if if you think I'm sleeping, I'm probably just watching a game in another room. So feel free to to comment anytime at Devin Kerr nine on Twitter. Got it. Everyone, make sure you go follow Devin. Make sure you watch everything that he's covering. Devin, again, thank you. And make sure uh, you're wearing your shirt backwards that day for the Open (laughs) Cup Final. Tom, thanks for having me, buddy. It was an honor.